0: Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 101 with Josh Coates. Excellent interview here. Uh, he's got some interesting history. Before we get into all that, want to remind you, as always, upfront, you are absolutely priceless. You're never alone. Don't succumb to the lies in the world that you're anything less than that. And right now, everyone's going through this pandemic situation as we record this. You may be listening to this down the road when hopefully this has been resolved sooner rather than later. Uh, but as we speak now, people are still going through this. A lot of people out of a job and suffering in various ways or lonely because people have been stuck at home and all this kind of stuff, dealing with kids out of school. <laughs> also. Uh trust me, I'm right there with you. I'm dealing with my kids being out of school, trying to make sure they're learning, trying to make sure everyone's growing and doing something, you know, positive and meaningful day in and day out. Uh, but we're doing our best. That's what we talk about a lot in this interview. Josh Coates has very interesting history. We talk up front about a lot of his childhood stuff. He grew up in a very religious environment. Whatever your background is, um, I think we can all kind of relate as human beings with our tendencies and uh, what that did in his life and how he eventually gravitated towards this whole business side of things and uh, mentoring and Teaching and coaching and all the things that he does, he's got this great book. It's uh, actually called F Leadership: <laughs> How to Motivate and Mentor Your Team to True Success. And the book is available on his website and also on Amazon. But the website is Josh J O S H C O A T S dot com, and also an audiobook version available on there. I believe he said for free, uh, you can get the book for free as well through there, and just pay I think five ninety nine, six ninety nine uh, for shipping. And it might take a little bit longer than Amazon, but uh, in any case, that's all available and I would highly recommend. He had some excellent uh, principles we went over here. Um, I'm not going to sit and spend too much time on it. You go listen to the interview and uh, hear what he had to say. Uh, tons of great, valuable information and advice for everyone from families to businesses, multi-level marketers, team leaders, sales teams, well, whatever the case might be in your world, I think there's something for everyone, to be quite honest, in this interview, because the principles apply across that whole spectrum of things. Before we jump in the interview, our challenges: study. Keep studying. Go get Josh's book. Uh, don't have any excuses and get all that for free, including even the audio book. So while you're home doing dishes and uh, going for a walk or whatever you might be doing, uh, you can listen to that as well. And uh, also, make great moments. Keep doing that with loved ones, family members, friends. Uh, surprise and and just make great moments as pillars in our lives because we're all going to have regrets and other things and that's nothing to beat ourselves up too much about because these great moments that we make, uh, especially with loved ones, are going to overshadow all that. And of course our last challenge, let's keep doing this podcast together. So without further ado, here is our interview with the incredibly talented and uh, interesting Josh Coates. Hey, it's our privilege today to welcome Josh Coates, author of F Leadership, (laughs) How to Motivate and Mentor Your Team to True Success, and uh, a lot of things on a business level, leadership level, obviously, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about your website. How are you doing today, Josh?
1: I'm doing good, Phil. Thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, it's our pleasure to have you. Um, We were talking a little bit before all this about some of how this all applies, and it's real interesting. I've been a business owner most of my adult life, self-employed, entrepreneur in some capacity as well. Um, but let's talk about your background. What brought you to this place? If you don't mind, where'd you grow up? Let's go, let's go way back.
1: (laughs) Oh, okay. We will go all the way back. So I was, I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, grew up in Wichita, Kansas. My dad was kind of like in and out of the ministry my whole life. So Uh I I have a real weird man. We, we, we could go for hours about the, my background (laughs) growing up in just a very, very extreme religious home, um, yeah. Some of that stuff, some of that stuff was good. Um, I, I try to be one of those people that like I don't throw it all out just because some of it was a little extreme. So you know, um, but but I have a real weird childhood growing up as the sheltered kid. Oh, um, I played a lot of sports, so I was always popular. But I was like, I was like the popular kid that never fit in hmm. because of the fact that I was so sheltered that I never knew. The kind of music that anyone else was listening to. (laughs) I never knew what was cool. You know, I would like, you know, cuss around my friends just to try to be cool, but I didn't even really know (laughs) what that was supposed to look like or anything. I I was always this real weird kid that, again, I was popular because I was really good at sports, but that was just because my dad also coached every sport and made us practice all. I mean, my dad was one of those people like, if you do something, you do it all the way in, you do it the right way, you show up every single time. So, you know, I was good at sports just because we literally had like drills in our driveway every single day after school with my dad. Um, yeah. So, so I, I grew up playing sports and then around, uh, my ninth grade year, my brother, who's two years older than me, he goes to this church camp and decides he's like all in like my dad and he wants to be a preacher and stuff. So wow. I kind of just like <laughs> followed along cause I'm like a little brother does whatever older brother says. Right. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I like randomly got into music because like in the church world, you know, like as a teenager, there's not a lot to do, but they've got a stage with like instruments and stuff. So
0: yeah.
1: I, I, took a extra drum set home and i went all in on music and i ended up playing music really for about 15 years and it was actually um (laughs) yeah my my whole 20s i played music some of it was in the church some of it was starting my own band and kind of um, traveling around the country a little bit um in the process of all of this i had gotten married i had had three kids and and my youngest kid was actually born with a heart defect so he had his first open heart surgery at six weeks old. Uh, which is just rocked our world. It was just such a horrible experience to go through. And about six months later we found out he needed a second one. So that's kind of where for me everything changed. Mm. I'd spent my whole twenties playing music, thinking like that was kinda like my thing that I was gonna do with my life, you know, because of having kids, I also worked a full time job, but I didn't like it. I detailed cars, which I absolutely hated. I mean, I'm a creative guy over here scrubbing people's cars and doing the most monotonous, tedious work you could possibly imagine. And um when everything went down with my kid, I said, you know, like I'm working during the week and traveling on the weekends to fill kind of like fill my bucket.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But
1: like this isn't really fair to my family. Like I gotta I gotta find a way to like fill my bucket while being home and ideally find a way to make money doing that. You know, like if I could be home, do something I love and make money, everything in life for me and my family would just be a million times easier. So um, I didn't really know what to do. You know, I didn't want to go back to college. I was not really big into traditional education. It just was not my jam. I was, I was always a smart Mm. kid, but, but hated to actually study. <laughs> like, I, I, I could pass tests and get A's just because I was good at memorizing stuff, but man, I hated the classroom. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually just detailing cars. I was like, you know, I listen to eight hours of music every single day to keep myself motivated, like just to like keep working. What if I just listen to podcasts instead and see if I learn anything? Like, yeah. you know, who knows? <laughs> like maybe I'll just find something yeah. that I like. Uh-huh. And so I just started listening to eight hours of podcasts a day and, and that alone will change your life. You know, like for, for people listening to this podcast, you're like, you know, one of these episodes is like the thing that gets me through the day, makes me feel more excited, happy, whatever. And I was doing that eight hours a day. Um, so I started my own podcast just for fun, just to kind of talk about what I was learning And then I heard John Maxwell on a podcast and he kind of caught my attention because growing up in such a extreme religious home, John Maxwell was probably the only secular author I'd ever heard of just because he'd been a pastor for so many years that he's kind of – John Maxwell's done this cool thing where like the whole religious world follows him because of his faith background. The secular world still respects him because of his message. I mean he just – he crosses all barriers.
0: right, um, right, right.
1: So, so I heard him on a podcast, and man, about a month later, I found out he had this certification program <laughs> teaching on leadership, yeah, yeah. life coaching, how to become a speaker, and I just – I went all in on it. I signed up for it, and I was like, this is the thing I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I mean I just had one of those weird gut feelings where I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. So I went through the training and did everything they told me to do. Um, a lot of it wasn't really working for me as far as how to build the business. So I went on social media and just hustled it out my first couple of years to figure out what to do. And, you know, after a couple of years, I picked up enough momentum. I went full time and the rest is kind of just history. Uh, just me playing on my computer, doing calls, running groups and, and essentially being a life coach and speaker for a living.
0: Okay. Wow, a lot there. I could I could dig deep on about 12 different topics that you got into there. Um, wow, that's, I mean, now we've covered pretty much the whole kind of summarized history. Yeah, <laughs> Good.
1: yeah, so dig into, dig into whatever you want from there, man. I'm an open book. What, whatever you think your uh, listeners will like, let's go for it. Well,
0: uh, a lot of my listeners know that I play drums, too, so is that what you do, play drums? Oh, right. Uh
1: so- I played drums and guitar the last band that I was in I played the guitar and I was the lead singer and I, and I wrote all the music and stuff
0: so were these like Christian bands or what kind of bands are we talking about
1: yeah so so like in my early 20s they were definitely like Christian kind of like more punk punk rock like
0: punk um, Christian
1: <laughs> yeah like like blink 182 kind of stuff Christian with a K like yeah. It's really, it's really weird, but like in the in the Christian world, for whatever reason, probably because we all just felt like a bunch of like outcasts, a bunch of sheltered kids. Yeah, we <laughs> we were like super into like punk rock. Yeah, and so there was like a lot of like Christian punk bands. I mean, MXPX is one of the most famous ones, but there was a there's like a whole like radio station and a whole movement dedicated to just like Christian punk rock. Yeah. And so I was like really <laughs> into that. Um, and then you know so I played the, I played the drums in, in those kind of bands in my early 20s and then the last one I created in my late 20s was a little more uh, a little more like a switch foot kind of a thing where it was like okay, we're all kids who kind of come from the same background, but like we don't really want to like stand for this background. We just want to be people who write good music have more of like an inspirational background to it. But we also kind of want to leave it up for interpretation. Like we're not using this music to try to force anything on anybody. Like <laughs> we just want music that makes people like feel good and, and, and more inspired to like live out whatever their dream is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I've looked into that world cause I've, you know, I've been in I've studied music in Hollywood for a little while and stuff too. It's, okay. I, we're not going to go too deep on music, but I just wanted to touch on that because I'm a music guy myself. And, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's an inter- interesting history. I uh, and, and as I think, as far as the the athlete stuff, you know, when I was uh-huh. coming up, I played a little bit of sports, but again, I mostly got into music young, and I was kind of rebellious in high school. So, yeah. uh, but uh, kind of like you, I was somewhat sheltered. I didn't drink, do drugs, all that kind of stuff. How was that for you? And we'll get into this other uh, these uh-huh. other leadership areas and stuff shortly. Um, because yeah. in my experience, especially the quote unquote jock, you know, no offense, the jock guys that are playing yep. sports, they're partying a lot, they're drinking a lot, they're doing all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. So how did that play out for you? Because you say you try to fit in or you'd cuss just to, <laughs> just to kind of well, like, go ahead. Yeah,
1: I mean, so, so it was kind of weird, you know, like in, 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 middle school, um, all the kids were smoking cigarettes and I wanted to be cool. So like I started smoking cigarettes, but Jeez. we weren't old, we weren't old enough to, yeah. like, have access to them regularly. So it's not like any of us got addicted. You know what I mean? We were, like, going out on a Saturday and, like, smoking, like, seven or eight cigarettes mm-hmm. um, that we, like, <laughs> talked someone's older sister into buying for us. Um, I, definitely, I definitely smoked weed three or four times in seventh grade, which nowadays is, like, nothing. But back then was, like, a big deal to do in, like, middle school, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as, like, the party scene, I was actually really fortunate that my older brother... Like I said, he decided kind of like I I guess that had been his junior year that he was like all in on this like whole like I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to live like this like Christian life. And since I kind of just like went along with him, I was only 15 at the time. Mm -hmm. So he he had partied his ass off. He had done all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like he was drinking every single weekend. Um, He was definitely with like all the girls, that kind of life. He did that whole thing. But I kind of was still too young to have like really got into that scene. Mm. So I'm really fortunate because I feel like my brother, really my brother's lucky to still be alive. Some of the stupid stuff he was doing, um, and 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 I feel like I just kind of missed all of that. So that was you know good and bad you know some, sometimes i look back and i'm like man i i kind of missed out on being a teenager i wish i wish i had some of those memories maybe not as many as he had but it yeah. would have been nice to have a couple stories to tell you know
0: Hmm. interesting so is uh from there after he had uh a somewhat spotty teenage uh section yeah. he went in is he still doing the the preacher thing and all that or if you don't he mind is, me
1: asking he's, he's a he's a pastor. He was a, he was a youth pastor for several years. And, and that's where I did a lot of my, um, music was playing like at the youth group for him. So mm-hmm. I was kind of like his sidekick for, for many years. Um, and, and he still pat. he eventually became the pastor of the church that he was the youth pastor for. And he's still doing that.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, and so you talk about John Maxwell, um, yeah. and I've listened to a lot of his stuff, read a lot of his stuff, uh, really well written, well read, very articulate, uh, when I listen to him speak and stuff too. What was it yeah. for you about John Maxwell that, uh, kind of made you change course and pivot towards this whole leadership? Cause that's kind of his big thing is leadership. He has, you know, yeah. I don't know how many books, 25, 30 <laughs> books. He's got 90 plus. Oh, he does. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I need to back, <laughs> back up and now. look. Yeah. Wow.
1: So. I think the biggest thing was um, I kind of got to a point in my life in my late twenties where really I was just you know like what what the hell is going on with life? (laughs) Here I am detailing cars for a living. I hate it. Um, I I don't really know. um, Like I thought I had all these like ambitions. Thought I was going to do all this cool stuff, and here I am at twenty nine, still don't have life figured out, and. Part of that made me to like really, really, really start questioning the faith that I had grown up in. Like, you know, there really is like a good purpose for everybody. Like, how come I'm trying to do so many good things and nothing really good is happening? How come um, my son is going through all of this stuff? And it was actually listening to podcasts and finding personal growth that taught me, okay, like all the stuff I had been taught in church my whole life. A lot of it was good principles, but no one ever taught me how to apply it to anything outside of religion. And right. and personal growth is actually kind of what brought me back to believing in God again because I was like, wow, like all of this stuff, this is really powerful. And I, you know, some people call it the universe, but really, there's like a lot of universal principles and laws here that are really powerful, um, that really have the power to change our lives when we apply them to the areas of our life that that are needing it. And And so, when I heard John Maxwell for the first time, here was the first person that I had heard connect the dots between, let's say, like God and these universal principles and and kind of bringing it all together for me mm-hmm. in a way that helped me from from the background that I had grown up in to kind of understand this personal growth and this leadership stuff and this, you know if you read if you read, um, if you read john maxwell's stuff a lot of it is very based on kind of like the the attitude of the christian faith that isn't always what people live out so you know one of john maxwell's quotes says you have to um touch a hand before you have to touch a heart before you ask for a hand And, and really that's the law of sowing and reaping it's just that again in the church world that i grew up in we didn't talk about the law of sowing and reaping for helping people and empowering people we talked about it more for what we could get and, and, and so, like John Maxwell brought these incredible universal principles that had a lot of faith, background and basis. like in other words, it was, he was switchfoot was kind of the band that I always loved because they found a way to make that crossover um, and be respected, you know outside of the Christian world. And John Maxwell was kind of that crossover guy to me that said, okay, it's okay to trust this guy, but he also like brings it in a this this more of like secular way that anyone and everyone could get their hands on. And that's kind of like the, that was the person I always wanted to be. Yeah. I was wanted to be the guy that regardless of what my background was, I wanted to have some type of a message that anyone could grab onto and use it to change their life, whether they wanted to be like me or believe like me or not. So like for me, that was everything. The second I heard him, I was like, this guy gets it. Um, I want to follow this guy to the end of the earth.
0: Yeah, no, John Maxwell. Great. I appreciate you explaining all that too. It reminds me a little bit of Zig Ziglar as well, but Especially from the standpoint of telling stories, you know, and Christian or not, because we don't get into a lot of religious stuff here, but people have religious background uh, all over the world and especially in America, a lot of Christian background. Um, But, you know, even from the standpoint, Jesus taught in parables and symbols and stories and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot there when you think about symbolism and then how does this apply to this? And then you – you sounds like you started opening your eyes even more – shedding light on how, oh, all these principles really apply in life and not just yeah. in a self-serving way. Uh, right. Yeah. So now, how how is it when we get into these principles, you talk about several things, because a lot of the things people, we're all kind of afflicted with a lot of the same things, with things like fear yeah. and, uh, yeah. you know, negative mindset and uh, stuff like that. How how do we overcome things like fear? Do you have any recommendations and what, what is it that you teach on that level.
1: Yeah. So this is one of my favorite things in the world to talk about because I feel like it's one of the most misunderstood things that exists. Um, and I actually, I actually heard this on a podcast back in those days when I was listening to those eight hours of podcasts mm-hmm. and, um, there's this really powerful teaching. He, this guy that I was listening to, and I can't remember his name cause I was just listened to so many things, but <laughs> the way he explained it, he said that fear is something in our it's in our chemical makeup in our brain that is put there to protect us. And it's it's like, you know, if you're a caveman, you come walking out of a cave, you see a saber toothed tiger, and you can't Google what is a saber toothed tiger, right? Like you have to have something in you that creates some type of reaction that helps you to survive, right? And and so one of the things he said that I loved was that fear comes anytime you come across undiscovered or unconquered territory. Mm-hmm. So really anything in your life that you haven't discovered yet, or, or, or let's say you've tried to discover it, but you haven't conquered it yet. You know, we, we could talk about weight loss because I feel like that's like a universal thing that everyone kind of at least understands a little bit, right? right. You, you You try to lose weight 20 different times, but you've given up 20 different times. So that fear is still there, even though it's kind of become a little bit more of a familiar territory, you haven't conquered it yet. And and so I like to explain it like fear is our built-in smoke detector. And the thing with smoke detectors is when they go off, you're not stupid enough to just grab all of your belongings and sprint out the door and you know, you don't like go jumping out of the house and call 911. You take time to look around and observe and see what's going on. Like is there a threat? We we know that a smoke detector means there's a possible threat. But nine times out of ten, it's not, right? I mean, for for all of the people listening to this call, probably ninety-nine percent of us have had a smoke detector go off more than ten times. Probably only one out of a hundred have ever actually had a fire, right? Okay. Um, yeah. but it is a life-saving thing and, and we need it in case there is a fire. But what you have to do is is I teach my clients, when this fear comes up, first of all, you have to understand what it is. Because self-awareness is everything. So I need to know, okay, this could be a threat, but this is the smoke detector trying to get me to look around and just see. So I always sit down with my clients. I'm like, let's put it all out on the table and let's find out. I mean, life coaching 101 question is just what do we have to lose versus what do we have to gain? And there's something magical about getting it all out of your head because as long as you're in your head, it's all emotions. Um and and we have these signals that are just flooding our entire body with emotions. And as long as that flooding is happening, you can't think straight. Like there's no logic. In fact, logic, we, we we take in data at the back of our head and we have emotions in the middle of our head that floods our whole body, and then logic is somewhere up at the very front. And I think most people don't understand like Logic doesn't even exist until you give it time to sit and process and collect data, just like if you're going to buy a car, right? They don't want you to drive off the lot without taking the car with you because they know once you leave, the emotions are gone and logic finally kicks in and you go, you know what? We really don't want to pay an extra $500 a month right now when we have a car that runs just fine, right? (laughs) But but as, as long as you're in the car, smelling the leather, experiencing everything, you don't think
0: the only thing you
1: have is emotion, yeah. right? And and you become emotionally connected to it. And if they can get you to drive it home, then you're going to show your friends. And now you don't want to let your friends down. Now you don't want to be the person that took the car back after showing it to your friends. So you know, car salesmen obviously are really good with all of this. But but the point is, if I can get you to sit down and look at what is this actual fear that you have, like let's talk about it. Let's put it on paper, and then let's see worst case scenario if you were to attempt this what would happen and then best case scenario what would happen and and, and most of the time you'll find that worst case scenario you try it and it doesn't work but you didn't really lose anything best case scenario you tried it and you it worked and you lost 20 pounds and you feel amazing or you got that job that you were afraid to apply for and that could change your life forever or your for me you know your business finally worked out and it changed your entire life forever but you have to take time to sit and 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 literally sit in your fear and kind of like write it out talk it out with someone if you have a life coach that's why life coaches are powerful because you're really just taking time to to work through your emotions to figure out what is it that really makes sense for me in my life right
0: now yeah Interesting, yeah, and that's interesting. You use these analogies about the smoke detector or buying a car, and that's probably where the whole idea of buyer's remorse comes from because people buy on emotion, and then oh, now I oh I got to pay this (laughs) and that every month, and (laughs) they start thinking about the logistics and the numbers, and it's oh, I am not sure that I do want if that's worth the all for all the emotional side. And and this applies, doesn't this apply also to things like anger, sadness? It's there is something to be said. It sounds like for stepping back and Mm. just taking a moment before it's kind of what Stephen Covey talked about with this be proactive, just like harness the space between some sort of stimulus in your life and the reaction instead of being reactive, be proactive. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. How does this apply though, in terms of like, how do we reprogram? Because it seems like that's, that's what our tendency naturally to do is as human beings. Maybe it goes back to caveman days of, Oh, I yeah. just got a quick knee-jerk respond and, and survive. But right. in these days where most of us aren't faced with saber-toothed tigers outside, uh, right. outside the cave, <laughs> I'm doing the podcast in a cave, so I'm, no, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> how, how do we reprogram that mindset to how we live now, so to speak? I mean, what, yeah. what do you suggest in that regard?
1: Yeah, so so uh, I'm a huge fan of this kind of stuff because I think reprogramming your brain is, is, is the key to performance, whether we're talking about business, whether we're talking about fitness, whether we're talking about relationships. like Reprogramming your brain is the number one key, and I think it's important, first of all, for people. Um, I talk about we have head beliefs and we have heart beliefs. And mm-hmm. I think this is where people like really, if they don't understand this, like nothing else we teach them is going to matter. Um, we've got head beliefs, our subconscious mind, and you know, probably got some educated listeners that know quite a bit about this. It's it's just being programmed over time of what it's been told. Like you have told your body over and over and over and over and over to either wake up when the alarm clock goes off or snooze when it goes off. So yeah. free will doesn't really act the way we think it does. We think free will means in this moment, I'm making a decision. That's not really completely true. Free will is really more of how many times in a row did I make the right or wrong decision that has now led me to the habit that I'm stuck with. Um, Your current free will is what you have decided over time to become. Um, But that's not really the real you. And I think that this is why overcoming fear is so hard because if you don't understand heart beliefs – you tend to think that your emotions are the real you speaking. Um, Just just to go back to kind of my story, in my 20s, one of the reasons I struggled so much in life and really in anything that I did because I was convinced that my emotions were some type of sign from God letting me know that I was doing the wrong thing. So when I was trying to do something new and all of these flood of emotions come and it's just so scary and it's just so hard, I would be like, well – There's no way that this could be such a strong feeling if God is the strongest thing. If the feeling is this strong, that must be God. And in reality, what we're all kind of doing, regardless of your background and your story, we're all taking fear and using it to validate some type of excuse that we have for not wanting to move forward and feel that pain. So some people you will hear in the entrepreneurial world will have this kind of parent guilt mom guilt, dad guilt. Well, every time I pick up my computer, try to work my business, I feel guilty because my kids are over there playing and I'm supposed to be spending time with them. And the reality of it is you probably spent time building your business instead of watching Netflix. You didn't give up time with your kids. Um, and And if you did, you're just doing business wrong and you just need to have better structured schedule. Right. But but what it is, is you're afraid of that pain. So you immediately look for something to connect it to that makes you feel better about not embracing the pain. And so what I teach my clients to do is to just, first of all, fear is a smoke detector, but it's also a prophecy of what could happen if you don't make some course corrections. And so for instance, if, if you're afraid um, right now, we got a lot of people that are afraid that their businesses are going to struggle through a time like this.
0: Yeah, they are.
1: So it's like, okay, well, how did you get momentum the first time? Well, I showed up, and I did the right activities, and you know I kept my mind sharp. I went through training, personal growth, all these different things. So, so if that's how you keep momentum, how do you think you – that's how you got momentum, how do you think you keep momentum? Well, to keep momentum, I probably keep showing up and doing the right things, keep my mind sharp. Okay, so what you're saying is what got you here are the same steps to keep you moving in that direction – And then what I help them to do is create what I call a because affirmation. And a because affirmation is essentially taking what your logic knows. If I do these actions, I'm creating a new prophecy for myself. So if I create – so my affirmation would say something like because I keep showing up and doing the right actions, connecting with the right people, and learning the right things, my business will continue to grow. And that's really just a logical statement. And, and, and I think a lot of people go wrong with affirmations because I think a lot of people are trying to say things like, oh, I'm a rock star. I am amazing. I am successful. And none of that really triggers anything new. All it is is it's a fun, new emotion, and you can't fight negative emotions with positive emotions. Positivity is not the opposite of negativity. Logic is the opposite because, remember, this negativity is coming from these emotions – and the way we work through those emotions is to get to logic. So what I teach my clients to do is to literally come up with an affirmation that's based on logic, which is if I do it, you know, because cause and effect, because I do this, I get this. And now you have something grounded in some type of a logic to reprogram your brain around. And if you can do that one to two times a day, over and over and over and over. I found that about 30 days later, I can have my brain reprogrammed to a new idea, which is no longer, I'm afraid my business is going to fail. Instead, it's because I show up at work every day, I know it continues to move forward.
0: Yeah, interesting. But,
1: but it's this work that you have to put in. You know what I mean? And, and that's, that's the thing that everyone is, I, I feel like is looking for, how do I quickly fix this? And the thing is, your brain, you've spent 20, 30, 40, 50 years programming it this way it's going to take some time to reprogram it Mm -hmm. and that's the hardest part But you do have to take the time to reprogram it or you're going to be stuck with what you currently have over and over and over
0: yeah yeah you're right i I like what you're saying the cause and effect is is like a bigger picture view of getting the things you want and maybe fixing problems that might be contributing to emotions that you don't like uh yeah so it reminds me, too, of this quote, Tony Robbins, one of my favorite quotes that he said, which was that uh, what you link to pleasure and what you link to pain will determine your destiny. And yeah. and so we kind of fall back on these emotional responses of, well, this pain, because you use the word pain. So that's kind of yep. what triggered this thought to me is <laughs> yeah, uh, pain and pleasure are these things in life where people have these motivations of either seeking pleasure or avoiding pain. And, uh, and, and then you talk about... Uh, Kind of just overcoming the limiting beliefs and the emotional part of it by uh, kind of proactively taking steps involving actions, not just yeah. not just pie in the sky cute affirmations, <laughs> but real action-based affirmations and then the actions to back them up <laughs> to, right. to get what you yeah, want.
1: Because at the end of the day, the goal was to get yourself to do something, right?
0: Yeah, and, it and, always and I is. Think,
1: and I think sometimes we're just trying too hard to change the feeling, but... Feeling good or feeling bad doesn't change what you get in life. You know, I mean, obviously, it's better to feel good than it is to feel bad. But at the end of the day, we all have a result that we want, whether that's make more money at your job, be more successful at your business, be healthier, be have a better relationship. Like everything that we're seeking in life is really a specific result. So if all we're trying to do is change the emotions, we never got anything we really wanted other than a quick fix of feeling better.
0: Right. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. And feeling, I like what you said, feeling good or feeling bad doesn't really get you. And it's just like a fleeting feeling like anything that's just a fleeting stimulation of some sort. Uh, So that's interesting. As as we talk about this in context of your book, um, Mm -hmm. again, the book is F Leadership. I'm I'm guessing (laughs) your dad might have had some uh, reservations about that title. Religious guy as he is F leadership, how to motivate and mentor your team to true success. Um, talk more about the book because we're, we're delving in a little bit on some of these topics, but to have a whole book, it's, it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of topics there. I would imagine that we could cover as far as. So,
1: so kind of the main idea of the book was this, you know, talking, talking about these fears and these limiting beliefs, you know, um, I work with a lot of people in network marketing that are trying to build teams, Um, Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people listening to this are maybe building a team, maybe at your corporate job, or maybe you're building a team. Shoot, maybe you're you're coaching your kids and you're trying to build a team. And and, and whatever it is, kind of my thought is this, that there has been – anytime something is taught on a lot, we kind of get these words that we start to attach ideas to that, again, are more emotional than logically based. So – for instance, I'll be on a one-on-one call with someone and I will hear this all the time. Josh, I I'm struggling, you know, like I'm not seeing the success that I want. My team isn't showing the way that I want. And 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 I think it's just because I'm not good enough of a leader. Like I'm not good enough of a leader is the statement that really sparked this entire book, hearing that statement over and over and over and over. Because what I realized people were doing. Is They were taking someone they had in their head, usually someone that they were jealous of, usually someone that had had incredible success, and they were tying that person to the word leader. And then when they didn't get the results they wanted, they're saying, well, I'm not like that person, so I can't have success. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I work with a lot of people on social media because that's how I do my business. And so what happens is they start looking up to people that have a million followers, people that get you know thousands of likes on every single post, and they start to equate that with leadership. And, and what I've realized is people are very confused between leadership and celebrity, and people have kind of started mixing the two words like they're one and the same without realizing it. So, so what I would do on a one-on-one call is say, you know, how about this? I'm trying to help them find logic. What is your definition of leadership? And every single time people would tell me, well, someone that's hardworking, someone that's disciplined, someone that leads from the front, someone that really cares about people. I'm like, okay, so tell me which one of those things you're lacking. And they would stop and think about it for a second and realize they do all of those things, but they don't think they're good enough of a leader because maybe they're not as outgoing as the people they looked up to. Maybe they don't have a large following. Maybe they're, you know, not featured on podcasts. And so they've taken the word leadership and they put a picture on it that doesn't really it, it doesn't fit the word. And so the whole point of this F leadership was like, let's F like F leadership is let's get rid of all of the extra things that we have tried as a society to put on the word that were more about being a celebrity than it was being a leader. And let's get back to the basics of what leadership really is, which is being someone that people want to follow because because you trust them, not because you use fancy words and know how to coerce people. Yeah. You know, These days <laughs> there's like all of the sales training in the world um, that if you really look into it, a lot of it's manipulation. And it's like when did leadership become manipulating people? It was supposed to be about helping people, about empowering people. One of the reasons I fell in love with life coaching was because the whole idea behind life coaching is I'm going to help you find your path and create the steps it takes to walk your path, and I have no strings attached to the outcome. Um, For me, that's why I fell in love with life coaching because I grew up in this religious world where it was we want to help you find the path as long as it looks like the path we had in mind for you, right?
0: (laughs) So so life
1: coaching is like we want to help you get wherever you want to go and you get to decide what that looks like. Yeah. And so that's kind of what this book is about. It's about just getting back to the basics of like leadership is truly caring about people enough to work hard on yourself first. And then to just come up with simple strategies for motivating and mentoring people that help them to get what they want, not necessarily um, trying to manipulate everyone to getting what you want. And, th- and then also because for five years I've been – well, six years I've been doing this, five years full-time, um, just some of the systems and strategies that I have found that help create a more performance-based culture. Yeah. I think that within this word servant leadership, um, we have this whole movement, and anytime there's a movement, it gets taken out of context into the extreme, and sometimes servant leadership gets turned into – I'm giving up my life and my happiness and my freedom to essentially serve everyone else and and I'm running myself into the ground and I have nothing left for my own family and trying to get away from that to create some good solid boundaries for people to be like okay this is when I work my business but this is when I have my family so you know a lot of things in this book is just me being a one-on-one mentor for the last six years, hearing all the different things that people say over and over and over and over and over that they struggle with, and then taking those solutions and putting it into text.
0: Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. It sounds like a lot of the principles are pretty universal across, because like you talk about even teaching kids or having a sales team or whatever the case might be, it's the same kind of leadership principles. uh, But also one of the things you said was, Uh, sounded to me, there's a real important aspect to be yourself, not try to be, you talk about these people on social media, oh, I'm looking up to this or that person and I'm not that. Uh, You may have some of those characteristics and some not have, but (laughs) uh, to be you, but also kind of within the confines of leadership principles, but not feel like you need to be something other than you, which is a very freeing thing. I mean, yes, we need to grow and develop, but be who we are and what makes us tick and all that. And then motivate others. And I noticed in the title of your book, uh, you, you have the word motivate and mentor. Um, uh-huh. so h- how exactly do you do that with, when it comes to a, a team? And, and that may apply also to a family you know, having kids, how do we do that <laughs> as, as yeah, people?
1: So, so, so let me kind of give you my definitions of the two words. Cause I think a lot of people mix them up and, and in my book, what I try to do is really distinguish between the two different things. Okay. Um, so motivate is something that I do in in, in my book. I say you got to motivate with no strings attached. So so motivating is when I'm showing up, um, it's, especially in a team culture or let's say a business culture. Let's say you're a CEO with you know a couple hundred people in your company and maybe you have ten or fifteen direct reports, but then there's a hundred other people. They're not your direct reports, but you're responsible for them, right? Yeah. yeah. So so motivating is the tools that I create for the masses that I am not personally connected to the outcome. In other words, it's more about creating a culture. So for instance, um, let's take sports. I love to give sports analogies. I hope you're okay with sports.
0: analogies. Yeah, great.
1: (laughs) Okay. So, so you, you take a football coach and he's the head coach, but then you've also got, um, you've also got the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator within the offense. You've got quarterbacks, coach running backs, coach wide receivers, coach line coach. In other words, Lots of coaches, right? Right. But you've got one guy at the top and it is not his job to mentor every individual on the team. That would be almost impossible. It's more of his job to motivate the entire team while mentoring the few people that he has the greatest responsibility to. And what I find is people have, again, because the servant leadership, we think we got to mentor everybody. Like everybody has to get some of our time and some of our energy or we didn't do our job. And really, if you can separate it in two different things, I'm going to motivate the masses, meaning, you know what, before uh, the season starts, I'm going to get up in front of the whole team. I'm going to give a good pep talk, but then I'm going to release them to their positions coaches Um, before the game. I'm going to rally everybody up. I'm going to give a big pep talk like I'm going to create the environment that um, creates energy, demands performance and shows people that we're here to get something done. But I'm gonna have kind of my hands off of how much each person receives that, because I can't control the outcome of every single individual. What I can do is I can mentor my top performers to make sure that the people I'm most invested in. In other words, kind of like a business investment, right? Like mm-hmm. if I invest in a hundred different companies. I'm not going to check the stock on all 100 companies every single day, but I've got four or five that are like my go-getters, and I'm going to check them like every single day, right? Um, And and, and so it's kind of like motivating and mentoring is looking at your team a little more like a business. I I feel like we've gotten a little bit away from that. Like it's – the culture is becoming too friendly, too happy, too – hey, anyone and everyone that does anything gets gets a smiley face, gets a star, gets this. And it's like, at some point, that does not necessarily create a performance culture. It creates a buddy culture. Mm
0: -hmm. And and,
1: and what I found, especially in network marketing, is everyone is trying so hard to keep everyone happy that no one actually demands performance. And um, one of my favorite leadership quotes is from from Jocko, a book called Extreme Ownership, where he says that it's not the standards that you preach. It's the standards you uphold. And so – Part of this motivate and mentor thing is understanding when am I in my motivating lane, meaning I'm just here to rally everybody up, get everybody excited. And when am I in my mentor lane, meaning I'm going to hand select some specific people that are my top performers, and I'm going to give them the best of my time. Because usually what happens is the best people don't ask for your time, and so you never give it to them. The worst people always ask for your time because they're struggling. They need help. One of the reasons they're struggling a lot of times because they're not doing their job, and the worst people will ask for your time over and over and over and over. And if you're not careful, you'll end up spending all of your time trying to help the struggling people, or as I call it in my book, trying to be a people savior, instead of actually locking arms with the high performers. So, like the head coach, you know, Bill Belichick before he before they traded Tom Brady, who's the player you spend see him spending the most time with? Tom Brady, that's his best player, right? That's his biggest investment. Um, If you're watching the Michael Jordan series right now, Phil Jackson spent the majority of his time, Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen. That's the highest investment. That's where he's going to get the most return on his investment.
0: So so from a culture standpoint, are we talking about these high performers, the (laughs) Michael Jordans, so to speak, uh, of a team? uh, Do we delegate them as some sort of formal or informal kind of team leader where they in turn do some mentorship for at least some of the, uh, folks who might struggle more than the Michael Jordan might, so to speak?
1: (laughs) Well, yes and no. Okay. So, so the, the way I, the way I teach is yes, we want to raise up other people to be leaders and lead other people. Yes. But we also just need to, we need to have some set standards for a team. Okay. So it's like, Just to give you the easiest example for me because I work with a lot of network marketing people, you got one girl that's recruited 100 people to her team, and she's going to say, okay, the standard is I want everyone to make five sales per month. That's what everyone's minimum goal should be, and I'm going to have these big team calls where everyone's invited, and I'm going to give all of you the same tools and the same resources and the same opportunities to succeed. However – if you don't use those tools, if you don't use those resources, and you don't show yourself that you're willing to show up and do the work, you're not going to get my personal time. So if we wanted to go to sports, I mean this would be like who's going to be my starting lineup and who's going to sit on the bench. For For the, the whole team is going to get Phil Jackson. They're going to get his playbook. The whole team is going to get access to his teaching during practice. But some of them, um, like Michael Jordan, are going to show up even – after practice and spend some extra time working. Um, Some of them, like Steve Kerr, are going to get punched in the face because they weren't showing up for practice the way they were supposed (laughs) to, and Michael Jordan's a really competitive guy. So, you know, obviously this environment looks a little bit different in different places, Um, but essentially over time, yes, the multiplication, which is the last part of my book, is getting your top performers to get involved in the leadership wagon with you so that you have more people doing being an extension of you to more people.
0: Yeah. Interesting. It sounds like setting a culture is kind of, uh, you know, setting kind of standards to meet, but not to necessarily breathing down everybody's neck over, Hey, did you do your five sale every day or whatever the, you know, performance measure is, uh, but kind of creating a a culture with example. And it's uh, to me, it sounds like and from my experience in life and teams and various things I've been a part of, there, there's something to be said with some sort of praise, but there's also a threshold where there's too much of a praise sure, culture. Yeah. Like you talk about the buddy culture where there's too many yeah. trophies and hey, pat on the back stuff where sometimes, you know, sorry to burst anyone's bubble, but sometimes that can be detrimental where it's where people are after the dopamine hit or whatever of getting right. <laughs> a pat on the back versus just quietly setting standards yeah. And, uh, exp- and really just quietly having expectations then. And then, yeah. you know, every so often, whatever it might be with any particular organization, there is some sort of maybe praise or trophy or whatever it is, but it's not, right. it's not like ingrained in the day-to-day culture. Is that kind of what we're talking about here?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, because like if there's too, if there's too much rewards for nothing being done, that's the opposite of a performance culture.
0: Yeah, And 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 again,
1: for for me, I call myself, even though I'm a certified life coach, I go by Josh Coates' push coach because my mentality is I'm here to push people to show up to reach their full potential. Like, I don't mess around with people. Like, when people sign up for my training groups or to work with me one-on-one, they know Josh takes no BS. Like, I only hire him if I'm ready to do the work it takes to succeed. And it's kind of like that whole affirmation thing I was talking about, Phil. What's the point of trying to feel better if we're not going to perform and get the thing we really want? So, so for me, everything is about performance and yes, part of performance is helping people to feel good in the process, but that's not the whole picture. Well, it's like too many people making it the whole picture.
0: Yeah. Maybe feel hope that you can uh, get to this next level, but not just, Hey, you're just so great just because, because Uh, you know, uh, people need to step up and do their part too and continue to progress and all those things as well. And there's something to be said, I think, for, because you talk about go back to childhood and high school and all that, you're the popular kid. And some listening may or may not have been the popular kid. uh, But, you know, when you run for student body president, there's this kind of, people talk about this popularity contest. But from from a real true leadership standpoint, you don't, it sounds like you don't want to be uh, a people pleaser, like, because that's what the whole right. praising too much can be too is, well, I want everyone to just kind of like me. That's what you talk about when you said, it sounds like the buddy culture earlier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: And, and, and talking to my entrepreneurs and, and business owners and, and, and even parents, we have to be careful not to be who the other person wants us to be. But our job as a leader is to, is for us to set the pace and for us to lead the example and, and I find that that's hard as a parent too. It's constantly challenged, right? Like you, you, you don't want your kids to hate you. So, <laughs> so like sometimes you're, um, you're tempted not to um, set a certain standard, but at the end of the day, that just means you're failing your kids and not teaching them how to succeed in life, right? So it's like you got to be careful. Yes, I want my kids to know that I love them. Absolutely. Number one, I want them to know that I love them. But number two, I want them to be prepared for the world because if they fail, that's really on me as a parent to not do my job. Now, if I did everything here, – here's the other thing though. Mm-hmm. If I did everything that I know to do and they still go fail, that's on them, not on me. And, and so as a leader, if I do what I know I'm supposed to do and they still fail – I got to be really careful not to take responsibility for other people's failures. When I did the thing I said I was going to do.
0: Yeah. That's, that's interesting.
1: To me, that's a huge part of it because with leaders and teams, it's like, well, my team isn't doing good. That must be my fault. And, and I tell, try to tell my girls, I'm like, Hey, listen to me for a second. Since when is it your fault that they don't keep their commitments? That's not on you. Like that's on them. Okay. You keep showing up and doing the thing you're supposed to do. And let's trust that in time, enough people will catch on to that, that you'll have some leaders with you that are willing to do it the way you want to do it instead of settling for having some really good buddies right now, but nobody's getting anything done.
0: Yeah. It sounds like it's kind of tough to, uh, to distinguish uh, like it takes a conscious effort from what you're talking about. Cause we, you talked early on about these different areas in us about emotion and intellectual yeah. logic and things like that, where if we're taking the proper time to not just make decisions emotionally or even just logically, that there that there's a balance <laughs> going on, uh, yeah. th- then there can be success there. And and from a parent or true invested leadership standpoint, uh, it, it seems like it'd be tough because I've got two boys myself, eight and ten at the moment, uh-huh. and yeah. uh, as they grow up, again we're talking about teams in all kinds of ways, from from uh, MLM marketing to families to just sales teams and business and stuff. But as a parent, it's like you're way more emotionally involved with your kids. And if they, I guess we don't want to necessarily operate from a place of fear, whether it's in a family or in a business, like, Oh, what if we don't do this and kind of overanalyze? Or what if my kid turns out to be the drug addict or something? (laughs) Uh, because some people's kids will, I mean, that's the world we're in. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's doing all that we can to steer things the right direction. Realizing and accepting that people have their you know free will <laughs> and right, decision making right. capacities too.
1: Right. And, and if I could just speak on that for a second, Please. I, I think the big key to that is just sitting down with yourself um, and just asking, what are two or three at the most four? specific things that i want to do on a daily basis again going to that because affirmation because i do this i get this result what are what are two to four things that i want to do that i believe i should do on a daily basis to help the people in my life get where they need to go so so for my kids they come home and i have a list of affirmations that i want them to do and then they have a couple chores that they have to do And then they have 30 minutes of basically some type of physical activity time that they have to do. After that, they can play Fortnite all night if they want. They can go out and skateboard. Like, In other words, like because I set the bar by just deciding, okay, these are the three things I feel like I need to do on a daily basis to help teach them some type of regular routine of responsibility. And if they can do that, then it's okay to go have fun. Um, but what I found as a parent, when I don't have that system put in place, I find myself emotional all night long trying to make up for the parenting that I haven't done in advance. And and yeah. that's what you're talking about earlier with Stephen Covey, the, the proactive instead of reactive. When I'm not proactive about specific habits, I'm reactive to, for instance, they leave a mess and I get mad and I yell, why aren't you guys more responsible? Why don't you care more about the house? In reality, I'm mad at myself cuz I haven't taught them responsibility. I'm not mad at them. But if I can flip the switches and I can come up and this is kind of what my book teaches is here's some I give very specific, here's some specific ways to motivate your team. Trust the system, stick to it, don't try to change it too much. Here's some specific ways to mentor your top performers. Stick with it, don't try to change it too much cuz as long as I've got a habit and a routine, Then I can put my trust in that habit and routine and I can let the compound effect do its job, which is to over time have the snowballing effect of giving you positive results instead of sitting around being frustrated that I'm not getting results.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, And and I think I think the whole parenting thing, some people may or may not be parents out there, but I think there's a solid analogy there when it comes to a team uh, only because you're, you're trying to raise and teach Uh, people, you know, and hopefully in people that you love and care about because they're your children to become something more and progress on a path. Uh, But it reminds me of all these books on parenting about scream-free parenting and parenting with love and logic. It's the same kind of principles where you're showing kids to make decisions for themselves and, and accepting the consequences where it you, one of the things in scream free parenting is you let the consequences do the screaming, <laughs> whether it's good or bad, yeah. you made your yeah. bed and you did this. So you have these privileges or you didn't. And so you don't have these other privileges. Like you talk about after they've done these things that they need to do, uh, yeah. that then they can play Fortnite or whatever. So, right. uh, interesting principles. It's, uh, boy, there's a lot of, de- and I'm kind of like you, I like symbols and analogies and parables and stuff. <laughs> yeah.
1: Totally, yeah, and uh, so it, helps, uh, it, it helps it stick a little bit more.
0: Well, yeah, it's something we can relate to visually and and stuff as well, uh, symbolize in our minds. I I think about our time right now with this whole uh, pandemic situation. Do you have any insight as it concerns this particular aspect right now? This uh, you know dilemma that <laughs> people are going through. There's a lot of words we could use to describe it. It's uh, one yeah. of the main words I've heard is unprecedented. Uh, people yeah. are and there's a lot of things that are being affected, people's emotional and mental health, uh, also right. people, financial health and and job security and stuff, to say the least. Yeah. Over, over 20 million people file for unemployment a month. Um, yeah. well, what do you have to say on that topic or any words of encouragement out there for for people going through yeah, this?
1: Well, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to speak to people personally and then I'd like to like, give a little bit of advice to my entrepreneurs, if that's OK. Is that all right? Yeah, please. So, so on a personal level, um, I think it goes back to the same as the parenting thing, because I give my kids a couple specific routines to do every single day. They get to go do whatever they want. So, so my advice to you is to personally do the same thing for yourself. Don't get too crazy. You know, some people right now are like. Hey, we've got all this time off. You know, a a lot of people in my industry are like, spend 30 hours every single day writing your next book or (laughs) spend 30 hours a day, um, creating your next business. And it's like, that's not realistic. Nobody's going to do that. Right. But like, think about three or four things that you want to do as a daily routine that do keep you growing in some type of a way. Um, I personally believe that if you're not growing, you're dying. And, and, and I also believe that a lot of reason for the frustrations in life, you know, if I, I look back to my 20s, one of the reasons I was so frustrated and unhappy is because I didn't have anything daily that I was working toward. I needed music to be an outlet to keep me happy because at the end of the day, I wasn't invested in any type of personal growth. Um, moving your body for 30 minutes every single day will change your life. I, I am very big into my fitness routine. You don't have to lift a bunch of heavy weights like I do, whether you want to <laughs> download some video on the internet or, or just go walk around your neighborhood for 30 minutes, however you want to do it. I do think that it's very important to move your body. Um, there's a lot of scientific research behind why that actually makes you happier. Um, yeah. Other than that, again, a couple things daily that you're going to do to make yourself feel proud. Um, I think that going back to the logic and emotion thing, a lot of people are trying to be happy, Mm -hmm. and I think for me personally, something that's more powerful than being happy is being proud because being happy is something that comes and goes. You know, One TV show could take me down a rabbit trail of happy, sad, angry, mad, (laughs) but really I want to go to bed every single day personally and be proud of myself. I think a word very similar to proud is fulfilled. I want to know that I served my purpose. And so just ask yourself, what's two or three things? And maybe, maybe fitness is one for you. Maybe it's not. Maybe if you want to read a book every single day, um, maybe it's that you want to, if you're in a relationship, have a meaningful 30 minute conversation at dinner instead of having the TV on during dinner, but just yeah. two or three things. And other than that, if you want to binge watch Netflix for two or three hours, that's fine. Like I, I, I don't personally, as a, as a business coach, as a life coach, as someone who is an author, I don't have any problem with you watching two or three hours of Netflix if you've done something to make yourself proud first. But get that knocked out whether it's first thing in the morning or first thing when your business hours are done, depending on what your day looks like.
0: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: And then for my entrepreneurs, I want to say this. I want you to be very, very careful right now to make sure that you are doing something that makes a difference. So. The very second I heard about this whole thing, I actually shut down my entire marketing calendar for about three weeks, and it was actually an idea I got from a friend who was doing something similar, and I put on something called the Summit of Hope. And I just messaged everyone that I knew in my industry and said, would you be willing to come on for 30 minutes, speak on a call to just help keep people inspired during this hard season? We'll donate all the money to charity. And and so in about seven days we had twenty speakers, we had fourteen hundred people um, register for it that donated between five dollars and thirty five dollars to the World Health Organization, and in seven days we raised thirteen thousand dollars for a good cause, and spent twenty hours with people instilling hope in them, just giving you know it was very very kind of podcast similar to this very interview form. Um, but, but we spent 20 hours with people just inspiring them and, and setting an example of what we thought was just the right way to do life, which for me is always to lead with value first. Um, and as a result, honestly, since that event, all of the other training stuff that I did, I hosted a webinar the next week. It was one of the most successful webinars I've ever had. I'm getting messages from people every single day. Hey, Josh, what kind of groups do you have going on right now? I really need some help. And because I set the standard up front of, hey, I'm the guy that's here to love on you and help you chase your dreams, whether you want to pay me or not. Like I'm going to be that guy. I think when you set that up front, everything else will kind of take care of itself. Yeah, I think sometimes we have a pandemic like this. Where we're like, oh, my God, I got to sell to everybody. And that's not really how sales ever worked. Sales never worked by deciding to sell to everyone. Sales always worked because if you did it right, you cared enough about people's needs that you wanted to take care of them. And as a result, they wanted to do business with you. So please, for my entrepreneurs, for anyone in sales, in business, please make sure in this time you're leading with extra value, not less value. Like now is not the time to go message everyone in the world and say – Hey, do you want to buy from me? Now's the time to like check on on them and make sure they're doing okay. Make sure like, make sure people are healthy. Make sure people are happy. Have something to give them to show them that you care, not that you just want to like get a quick sale because your business is struggling.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, I love everything you said. I could delve into all of it in tons of depth, but it's, uh, it sounds like the name of the game is finding balance, not beating ourselves up finding ways that we're contributing and bettering ourselves each day, especially for those who are locked down and some sort of, you know, for the most part, most of us are quarantined in some way or another, at least right now, because businesses and things are still closed. So people aren't out and about, you know, I'm here in Las Vegas. It's crazy. You know, I've gone up and down the strip a couple of times for a few reasons. I just had to be down in that area. And I'm like, wow, nobody's here. (laughs) There's, there's cars in the street, but there's, the hotels are empty and blocked off. So in any yeah. case, I'm going off on a little tangent, but people need to, it sounds like, uh, put people first and uh, build those relationships and then balance their lives. And don't beat yourself up if you're going to spend an hour or two or hopefully not too much more than that watching Netflix. But <laughs> yeah. but whatever works, that's why it gets down to you got to know yourself. And as we yeah. go day to day, we kind of learn what worked best uh, yesterday and we're works in progress. So we don't beat ourselves up being perfectionists because we're not going to attain perfection here. But let's right. find these these balancing uh, actions each day. Um, Absolutely. Is, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up here? Uh, where can people find this book? F Leadership, How to Motivate and Mentor Your Team to True Success. Uh, it's on Amazon. It's uh, you, You've got your website, joshcoats.com and your social media. Uh, yeah.
1: So, so you can get the book on Amazon, and that's probably the fastest way to get it if you like want to read it in the next couple of days. But if you go to joshcoats.com, I'll actually send you a free copy if you just pay for shipping. Um, yeah. it, it takes my team a little bit longer to get to you than Amazon because Amazon's all over the world, and we're just here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. No. Um, but I'd be more than happy to send anyone that wants one. Go to joshcoats.com. Um, you'll see a spot there to get the uh, a paperback copy for free if you just pay six ninety nine for shipping. It takes one to two weeks to get to you. Um, or if you want, I, I was actually just working on this before I hopped on this call. If you go to joshcoats.com slash audiobook, I'll hook you up with a free copy um, of the audiobook that you can listen to my through my website. So it's joshcoats j o s h c o a t s dot com slash audiobook. And you can get the audio version totally free. Just download it right there, and you'll be able to listen to it in five or ten minutes when you get your email.
0: Great. Excellent. I, I'm always telling – our we always challenge our audience here uh, study and make great moments and keep doing the podcast together. But uh, you got no excuses, plus Josh is offering you an audio book, which uh, you could listen to uh, while you're doing the dishes and going for a walk and all these other things. So yeah. uh, that's awesome. That sounds great. Well, great. Josh, thanks for all that. We'll uh, reconvene down the road and see what you're up to and uh, compare more notes as we move forward with life and uh, hopefully continue to uh, lead from the front and uh, and and apply these principles that you're talking about. Again, for our audience, thank you for everything and empower yourself and empower the world around you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.